We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 122 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys. I talk about South Carolina picking up two big-time commits, the injury to Keel Pollard, four Gamecocks being named to the preseason All-SEC coaches team, new basketball uniforms, your listener questions, and much, much more. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks defensive tackle Nathan Peppers. We talk about his recruitment to South Carolina, playing for head coach Steve Spurrier, his defensive touchdowns against South Carolina State and Ole Miss, setting the stage for what happened from 2010 to 2013, life after football, and much, much more. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast written to you by our friends over at Tanny Hills Group Therapy. Yes, Tanny Hills Group Therapy, the oldest bar in five points owned by legendary USC quarterback Steve Tannehill. They've got great specials for you guys, including Taco Tuesday, Wing Wednesday, much, much more. They're a perfect fit if you're a local and you're in town and you want to just grab a bite to eat, or if you're in town for game day, for South Carolina Gamecocks game day, if you want a fun night out in the town, Tanny Hills is the way to go. Again, that's Tanny Hills Group Therapy located down in Five Points. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from Spurs Up Show. I'm your host, Chris Phillips. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Episode 122. Got a good one for you guys. Got a packed one. Um, I want to start off the show with some housekeeping items. Um, you guys have probably saw I made the announcement over the weekend, but in case you didn't, wanted to announce it on the show as well. First live on-site show at Tanny Hills Group Therapy coming Tuesday of this week. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock at Tanny Hills Group Therapy down in Five Points. I'll be joined by Michael Skarnecki. As you guys probably know, Michael, a... Uh, has already been on the show before, a repeat guest, if you will. We had a phenomenal conversation the first time. Very, very excited for this, obviously, because I talked about all these announcements the past couple weeks and that these live shows were coming. To be able to do the first one this week, obviously, we're getting ahead of things, getting out there before football season. I'm very, very excited, obviously. A guy, especially Michael Skarnecchia, who Michael's an awesome dude, and him being on the team a season ago, I think we're going to be able to have a really in-depth, fun conversation about what's to come this 2019 season. I know Michael's going to have some phenomenal insight and would love if you guys came out. So the way the live show is going to be set up as well, for those of you that don't know, um, the, the show will be set up where we will be out there recording, but we are also going to have the sound linked up through the speakers at Tanny Hills Group Therapy. So I talked about the specials that Tanny Hills have. It's going to be Tuesday night, so Taco Tuesday. Those guys have two for five tacos. Let me just tell you, they are phenomenal. Um, so if you guys want to come out, 
come out to t- come out to group therapy, sit down, listen to our conversation. You can do that. It's going to be a great time. I'll also be taking listener questions from people, three or four questions at the end. I think it'd be cool to get you guys interaction. So it uh, should be a really, really good time. So again, the announcement's on social media, but it's Tuesday night at seven o'clock. Michael Skarnecki and I are going to sit down, have a phenomenal conversation. Again, Michael's an awesome dude. Really do appreciate him taking the time to do so. And really, really looking forward to the first of many live on-site shows in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, also, if you guys could do, I've asked you before, if you could go rate and review the show, either on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please be sure to go online, rate, subscribe, leave a review, five-star review. If you have some feedback from me, anything you want to see, anything that you think I could improve on or something that I'm doing well, love to hear all the feedback from you guys. Again, wherever you're listening, please be sure to go do that. Um, also, one more thing I wanted to touch on, that which comes back tonight, is the Twitch streams. So I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the, t- the Twitch streams. Have been simming the 2019 football season. Been a ton of fun. I talked about last week on Thursday's show. This is probably this is probably one of the most fun, if not the most fun piece of content I've ever made. Just because it's so casual, so you know, carefree, so just kind of raw, authentic reactions. And it's really cool to have the viewers in there interacting as well, giving their thoughts. It's super, super fun. And obviously gives gives us all something to do and something to kind of cling towards as we're now just 12 days away from kickoff as we count down the days. It feels like the seconds are turning into hours now. But uh, the Twitch streams are super, super fun. Gamecocks right now are actually 4-1 and one overall, 2-1 uh, and one in the SEC, coming off a 14-9 win over Kentucky, which if you guys missed the stream on Friday night, it was uh, it was pretty grueling. It really, it really was. I mean, I, listen, I'll take a win over Kentucky in real life. I don't even care what the score is, but fourteen to nine was pretty brutal to watch. Um, in in Ryan Holinsky's first ever home start, so first ever start in general, really. So the Gamecocks tonight, which is Monday night, taking on the Georgia Bulldogs in Athens, which again will start the week of streaming Monday through Friday, and then I'll have the last two games on Monday and Tuesday, may even throw a bowl game in there for next Wednesday just to do it. But, uh, yeah, if you guys want to tune into that, again, I've been posting the links. I'm sure you've seen, but it is a ton of fun. Just give it a, give it a chance. It is a ton of fun to watch for sure. Um, all right, so let's dive into the show. Gamecocks, I want to start with what kind of stunk last week is that I released the Thursday show before these major announcements on Thursday afternoon. But good news for the Gamecocks, South Carolina picking up two out of the three that we were all watching on out of Jaquarius Conley, Eric Shaw, Tonka Hemingway. The Gamecocks pick up two commits on Thursday afternoon. Three-star tight end Eric Shaw, four-star defensive tackle Tonka Hemingway out of Conway, South Carolina. want to start with Eric Shaw. I mean, a guy, it's crazy. You know, a guy, three-star recruit, 6'4", 210 out of, uh, out, out of the state of Alabama, tw- class of 2020, obviously. But a guy that, you know, you take a look at his offer list, I, and there's a lot of impressive schools there. You see South Carolina, Auburn, Florida, Texas A&M. I felt like he, his top seven was almost all SEC schools. Um, but a guy that if you, you take a look at what people have been saying about him and different people on social media, people that are in the state of Alabama especially, they rave over this kid. I mean, they have rave reviews of this kid. So I think South Carolina overall getting a good one in Eric Shaw, I think it's a good pickup. Um, especially what you're seeing right now with the tight end position for the Gamecocks. They might need him more than we actually realize, which I'm going to get to in just a second. But overall, really good pick. I, mean, I know most people expected him to go to South Carolina. They were expecting this would be one of the commitments South Carolina would get on Thursday afternoon. The other one, Tonka Hemingway, defensive tackle, 6'3", 255, four-star defensive lineman out of the state of Conway, or out of, the, out of, out of Conway South Carolina. Um, a huge, huge pickup for Will Muschamp and the Gamecocks as he continues to retool and rebuild that Carolina defensive line, especially when you think about after this year, you're going to be losing a guy like Javon Kinlaw. 
you're going to need that size, a big guy that can come in there and make an impact for you. Tonka Hemingway, I think, could be that kind of guy. I notice right now he's kind of on the light side at 255, but I'm sure that's something where he's going to get on campus in college and probably put on 30 or 40 pounds. I mean, it's really going to be that much of a drastic. But, I mean, you take a look at his offer list as well, South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama, Clemson. I mean, when you're able to beat out Alabama and Clemson to get a recruit, you're doing something right. And especially I think it's really cool and really awesome to see the Gamecocks unlike their, uh, their brethren in the upstate, realize the importance of in-state recruiting and keep these type of guys home. So I, I think that's a big sell for South Carolina to be able to keep all these in-state guys home. Again, Tonka Hemingway, I don't think I have to really go into detail of why that's such a big pickup, just because the Gamecocks, I mean, Gamecock fans know better than any that to win at a high level, you've got to be strong in the trenches on the offense and defensive lines. And I think a guy like Tonka Hemingway, is just continuing to build out that defensive front and is a guy that should have a big, big impact at South Carolina. And, again, just the feel good of him being an in-state guy out of Conway, South Carolina, I think is a, uh, is a great thing and a great selling point for Will Muschamp as he moves forward in his tenure that we can keep these in-state guys home for sure. Um, moving to some other news that happened over the weekend after Friday afternoon, um, and it was a real gut punch for me. It was a real, real gut punch, and that is the injury to Keel Pollard. Keel Pollard announcing on his Instagram Friday afternoon that he will no longer be playing the game of football due to a neck injury. Um, you know, it's funny. I was about to go live to do the Daily Crow to talk about the Gamecocks Bucks heading into the 2019 season. And just before I was about to go live, you know, I, I just jumped on Instagram one last time to just, you know, take a glance, whatever. And that was the first post that popped up. And it really did hit me like a punch to the stomach. Like, it really – I had a knot in my stomach reading the post. And my, actually, my, my brother was with me, and uh, he just heard me say, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And he's like, what? I was like, Keel Pollard is out for the year. He's not playing football anymore. And it, you, you hate it on different levels. I mean, you hate it from a personal level because of, you know, it's just so unfortunate for a guy like Keel Pollard who, you know, he's been looking forward to. I mean, this is going to be his year, being the guy. And just from a, a personal standpoint, you hate it for the young man. You, you hate it for him that the game is – you you hate to see someone have the game taken away from them, not them go out on their own terms. Unfortunately, the game of football, most guys don't go out on their own terms. But especially in that manner, I mean, being a senior in college and, you know, to have the game of football taken – you know, think about it. He's put in all this work in the offseason and the preseason and camp. And, you know, for it to end that way, I, I will say – I want to say something about the post, too. I, I thought it was super mature of him, the way he handled it, saying, you know, and he really – probably put more of the blame on himself than he should have. I mean, he talked about, you know, I, I've been taught not to lower my head and block. And so it's, he, he took accountability, which I just think speaks to the, what type of guy Keel Pollard is. But uh, you also hate it from, you know, it's a very selfish standpoint. But you, if you're a Gamecock fan, I mean, you hate it for South Carolina because, you know, I, I know I've been one. I know others have as well. We've been talking about this being a guy who's going to have a huge impact in this Gamecock offense. He's going to be one of Jake Bentley's favorite targets in this 2019 season. And for Keel Pollard, just himself, to not even get that opportunity is – it's upsetting. So, I mean, it's – you know, you have the Evan Henson thing that happened with his, you know, irregular breathing. Now you have Keel Pollard, who is literally having to completely walk away from the game of football. Um I mentioned earlier about the Eric Shaw pickup. I mean, the Gamecocks tight end room. You really – I mean, now you're looking at it like a guy like Nick Muse needs to be eligible. We need him to play. I mean, the state of the Gamecocks tight end room is becoming extremely uh, auspicious, we'll say. It's very interesting. But Keel Pollard, shout-outs to him, man. I mean, a guy that, you know, did not 
make a major, major, major impact on the field for South Carolina. And obviously, again, this year, not, not by his doing or anything. I mean, something as a freak injury as this. But a guy that I think South Carolina fans really, really have a great respect for, for the way that he played the game, the type of teammate he comes off as, just the type of player, the type of person he comes off as. And uh, I saw that he's actually going to be on the coaching staff and sticking around Carolina football, which I think is awesome. I think it's a no-brainer. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely wish the best for Keel Pollard. Hopefully he can stick around Gamecock country for a little bit longer because I think, uh, you know, would, lo- would love to see just, just him stick around. Again, a guy that I think has great character. I think South Carolina fans truly respect. And it, it's certainly just so unfortunate about, uh, about what happened with him. Just kind of unfair. But, you know, it's like he talked about. It. You know, there's a, there's a bigger plan for all, you know, for all of us. When one door closes, another opens. And, you know, when you keep the mentality that everything happens for a reason, then it, it, it kind of clears things up for you. But it's hard not to ask why, you know what I mean? So, anyway, shout-outs to Keel Pollard, an awesome Gamecock, and somebody we'll definitely be following along with. Glad to see he's still going to be in Garnet and Black, if nothing else, uh, on the coaching staff for South Carolina. Um, want to talk about this as well. Four Gamecocks named the preseason All-SEC coaches team over the weekend. I believe the poll came out – or uh, the list came out Friday, I think it was. Um, Gamecocks had four selections. Brian Edwards and Javon Kinlaw named with the second team. T.J. Brunson and J.C. Horn named to the third team. You know what's funny? <clears throat> this list came out. I thought this list had already come out because we saw kind of all these lists coming. It seems really late for this list to come out. But overall, Gamecocks have four selections. I mean, I don't want to dive too, too deep into this because, again, none of this is going to matter in 12 days when we actually spot the damn ball and kick off and everybody's kind of making their own name for themselves. But, you know, South Carolina, I mean, listen – the, the, the biggest gripe I have, I mean, Brian Edwards, Javon Kinlaw, second team, T.J. Brunson, J.C. Horn, third team, so be it, whatever. I mean, you could argue J.C. Horn should be a second teamer. You could argue that Javon Kinlaw should be a first teamer. Maybe Brian, where is Shai Smith? How is a guy like D.J. Wanham not there? I know he was injured a year ago. But how is it – D.J. Wanham is one of the best players in the SEC when healthy. There's just no way, in my opinion, you're going to tell me that he's not deserving of being a preseason all-SEC guy in some capacity. You're telling me he's not a third-teamer? Joseph Charlton, too. I mean, it, you, people laugh about it, but I've been talking about that. I mean, Joseph Charlton a year ago, second-team All-SEC punter. He's not even a top three, not even on the third team of punters. I mean, I, you know, it, it's it, – listen, and again, this is why I don't want to get too deep into it because it's a popularity contest in the preseason. It really doesn't even matter. But some of these lists, man, are just – Unbelievable. So, again, it was funny. When this was tweeted out, I saw somebody – I didn't see South Carolina's account. I saw somebody else tweet it, and I was like, okay, they must just be talking about one of the older lists, like whatever. This is not even news. And I was like, oh, this is a new list. Like, I, I didn't even know it was a new list. So, anyways, Gamecocks have four selections. It is what it is. Um, <laughs> uh, so, one thing I want to talk about, new basketball uniforms. South Carolina getting new basketball uniforms – um, and I'm going to be completely honest and jump straight to the point, guys. I don't know if you guys have seen the video. I posted a picture on social media as well that the, uh, the Gamecocks men's basketball account put out as well. But I put on here new basketball uniforms and new in quotations because they are just that. The, the jerseys look exactly the same. Um, the striping on the pants is a little bit different. But the overall uniforms look exactly the same. And I will say one of the weird things about this, too, is that, you know, I thought the video was pretty cool that they put out, you know, had A.J. Lawson, Mike, all, the, the entire team basically sporting the new unis. But when you're releasing a video on Monday morning at 8.15 in the morning, it's almost like you don't want people to see it. 
Like you're almost like trying to post it at the, the time when the least amount of eyeballs will be on. If you know anything about social media and the way social media works. And I mean, just when people are on the internet, like you could have posted this video Sunday at five o'clock. You could have posted it Monday at noon. Like to post it at eight in the morning implies to me, like you almost knew what was going to come of it. You knew there was going to be some commentary that maybe you didn't like a bunch. Um, because like, I'm not hating, I'm not saying they're ugly. I mean, they're Gamecock uniforms. They look good, but everyone to, to be so hyped up about getting new uniforms and literally the only thing you do is change the stripe on the legging. I mean, you know, it, it, nothing, there's nothing changed. There's no difference. There's no difference in these uniforms. So, I mean, again, I, I don't care. I mean, I think South Carolina has good looking basketball uniforms, but it's kind of anticlimactic when you're telling everyone, hey, we got new uniforms, we got new uniforms. And again, when you posted it too, like it makes it feel like like you didn't even want us to see it because you knew, you knew that the reaction wasn't going to be, I'm not going to say it's negative, but I mean, it's just like, well, what happened? I mean, there's nothing really to look at. So um, yeah, anyway, South Carolina getting new basketball uniforms. So I, I'd love to hear you guys' feedback on social media. I already put something out. And I know there's been some responses, but I, I'd love to hear what you guys think because I would have to imagine Gamecock fans are a little bit less than thrilled uh, about what we're seeing with these new basketball unis. Uh, all right, let's get into some listener questions. Got a ton of listener questions that I want to get into. We're going to start with Seabacks 0-2-0. 100-yard rushing games this year for any of our backs, over under five. Um, yeah, I think Tavian Feaster certainly is going to have a, at least one 100-yard game. Over under five 100-yard games? I mean, until we see it, you've got to go under. I mean, and especially this too. You know, <clears throat> I think there could be over five games where South Carolina as a team has over 100 yards rushing. But until Feaster – until I kind of see how they want to use guys in the backfield, because I'm still – I think Feaster is going to get the bulk of the carries, and I think they'd be silly not to give him the bulk of the carries. But it could be a situation where Feaster gets 12 carries, Rico Dowdle gets five carries, or, you know, maybe Feaster gets 15, Rico Dowdle gets six or seven carries, you know, maybe a guy like Mon Denson gets three or four, Kevin Harris gets three or four, maybe A.J. Turner gets a couple. So it may be a situation where Tavian Feaster runs for 88 yards, Rico runs for 40 yards. Like, it could be divvied up that way. You're talking about individual rushing games. Again, I, I think Tavian Feaster is going to have the opportunity to have 100-yard rushing games, and I think he'll have more than one. I think he'll have a couple, but over under five, five's a lot. Five is a lot for a team that has not found consistency running the football since 2014. So um, I, I would hold off. I would say under on five right now. But I think depending on how they use the backs, I think the opportunity is there. Um, BMH321, what's the record going to be? I've already got this on record. Gamecock seven and five is my prediction. Seven and five on the season. Um, Real Connor content. I don't know if I'm saying that right. What do you think is more important for wins, third down defense or red zone offense? That's a good question because they're both really important. Um, hmm. <laughs> I'd say red zone offense. I, third down defense is super important, but if you play good red zone defense, you can get away with not being great on third down. Red zone offense, I mean, it's like Spurrier used to say, you kick a bunch of field goals, you're not going to win. I mean, you, you – especially with South Carolina when you think the red zone offense, it hadn't just been they can't get in the end zone. They're turning the football over. When you turn the football over in the red zone, it's like a double whammy. I mean, you don't get points and you get the ball back. So, I mean, red zone, I would say, you know, specifically specifically for this Gamecocks team, I'll go red zone offense especially because I think you can get away with third down defense not being great, even though, again, that's a very important red zone offense, in my opinion, I think will be more important. Um, TH3 moves 
I lose. God, y'all have some weird Instagram handles. Uh, <laughs> what position on the offense and defense do you think that we are deep at? Um, most deep, I'd say offense, probably wide receiver. Um, defensively, I would probably say defensive line. I mean, just overall defensive line. I think that front seven is pretty deep this year. Um, Sprague underscore Jack, tight end situation and options. Yes, this is something I talked about. You know, Keel Pollard being out, Evan Henson is out. Um, you think about a guy like Nick Muse, man, God, you need him to get eligible. <laughs> you, you need him eligible. I mean, you look behind him, was it Travion Kenyon, who's a true freshman? Uh, will register Kyle Markway. I think Kyle Markway will be a solid tight end for you. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's running a lot more thin than it was, say, a week ago this time. So, I think a guy like Kyle Markway will still have a solid year. I think he can be a really good player for South Carolina. Um, but, yeah, beyond that, man, you'd love to see Nick Muse get eligible because I've heard some really good things about him coming out of fall camp. Um, but, yeah, outside of that, you might have to be playing some young guys. So, we'll have to see. Um, EA Birchmore, what do you think the realistic ceiling is for Muschamp at Carolina? Um, so, just overall, the realistic ceiling for Muschamp at Carolina. I mean, I – listen, I really think Muschamp can build this program to be a program where you are on a – and I don't think it's too much to ask either. On a consistent basis, you are winning eight to nine games a year with every two to three years being a lightning-in-a-bottle type year where – you beat Georgia or you beat your cross divisional and you go to Atlanta. I, I, I think that's realistic. I think this is a, that's a, I think that's a realistic expectation for this program to be an eight, nine win program. Once every heck we'll say once every three or four years, you're winning double digit games. You're winning the games you need to and getting to Atlanta. I, I think that is a realistic expectation. I really, and I think any Gamecock fan that tells you they would not be happy with that is, is crazy. They're just, they're just crazy because you think about this program, the success or the lack of success it is having. The South, what, South Carolina's won nine or more games in its history seven times. I mean, if Will Muschamp's getting this program to a consistent eight, nine win team, once every three or four years they're winning 10 or 11 and getting to Atlanta and at least have a shot at the SEC title, that's a, I mean, that's a great, that's how you build a great program. That's at least how you start to build a great program. Now, after that, I mean, I'm not saying that would be good forever because at some point you'd see kind of, okay, now it's time to take the next step. But I think that's the step this Gamecock program needs to take is getting to the point where, I mean, listen, making a bowl game is a foregone conclusion. I mean, listen, I'm not going to say that every year you're going to be, you know, every great program at some point having a one-down year, maybe even two. I mean, outside of what we're seeing in Tuscaloosa and Clemson and Georgia right now. But uh, what goes around comes around. I, you know, I, again, listen, this college football game is cyclical. Those, those guys are not going to be good forever. But anyways, the ceiling for Muschamp, and I, I think he can get this program – to that level, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be a Nick Saban or, heck, even a Dabo Sweeney in the sense where, you know, this South Carolina program is going to get to winning 11, 12 games a year under his, under his tenure. But I think he can make them a solid, respectable program that at least has a, has a chance every year and has a realistic chance to win the conference once every three or four years. I think that's possible. <clears throat> um, Hamp Lit, what will, be our overall, what, will, what will our overall record be out of Georgia, Bama, Clemson? Who will we beat? I mean, right now in my predictions, I've got us 0-3. Now, I think your most winnable game in that one's at Georgia. Um, I think at best you go 1-2 and two against the big three. I, I'll just say that. I mean, I, my predictions are my predictions. I've got South Carolina losing all three of those games. But, you know, I mean, for the Gamecocks, you really change the complexion of the season if you win one. Because if you win one of those three, I mean, I think a lot of South Carolina fans would argue, especially depending on which one it is, the season's a success. I mean, you, you've already had a successful year at that point. If you win the ones – if you really win, just win the games you should, and you beat one of those teams, you beat one of the big three. 
that's a successful year in a lot of people's eyes. So right now, I'm not predicting South Carolina to win any of those games, but I think certainly the, the opportunity is there. Um, S. Brunson 06, who will be our best defender this season? You know, it's hard to go against a guy like J.C. Horn. <laughs> it really it really is, man. I mean, there's other options. You think of Javon Kinlaw, T.J. Brunson. Um, heck, Ezra McQuamu, you could put him in there. But, man, it is hard to go against a guy like J.C. Horn or, or Kinlaw. I mean, I think Kinlaw and J.C. are right up there top two for me. Um, but I'll just say game-breaking ability. I expect J.C. to have a monster year. I, you know, he didn't have any picks his freshman year. I fully expect him to have double-digit – not double digit, but more than one pick. I expect him to have a couple at least this year. Three or four would not shock me. Um, so yeah, I'll go JC Horn there. Um, Saucy Bro twenty two. How explosive can Jake Bentley and Brian Edwards be? I think they can be very explosive. I think Brian Edwards is prepared to be that number one guy for South Carolina. You know, I've talked about in the preseason, and it wouldn't shock me if a guy like Shy Smith led in catches or led in yards or even led in touchdowns. But that's not me taking anything away from Brian Edwards because listen, Brian's going to be the one. Teams are going to be keying in on him. And I think a guy, <clears throat> I think a guy like Shai Smith can really, really take advantage, kind of trying to fill in for Debo and being that dangerous slot guy. But make no mistake, Brian Edwards is the number one wide receiver on this team, and Brian Edwards is will, is set for a monster year. He will break every South Carolina receiving record or most of them this season. Um, and I think those guys can be very, very explosive. I mean, you think how comfortable must Jake Bentley be throwing to a guy like Brian Edwards, who those two guys have literally played since their freshman year almost every snap. So. I, no, I, I think uh, I, I think they can be really, really dangerous. I think Brian Edwards can be super dangerous down in the red zone. Really excited to see what Brian does in his senior season. Um, C3 Caldwell, Spurs Up Show Fantasy Football League. That's honestly not a bad idea. I, I'll get back to you on that. I, that's, that is not a bad idea. We might have to do that, actually. Um, J.K. Gill, 34. We went, from a super deep, we went from super deep at tight end to very thin. Thinks this means – do you think this means just more four wide receiver looks? Um, that's a good point. I mean, it's weird. It's kind of funny the way they use a tight end. They almost use it more as like an H-back. So, you know, that was the one thing about Keel Pollard that you loved is he's a guy that came up in high school playing wide receiver. So there really wasn't this – like he was so good at that position because he was so versatile. Um, and the tight end I don't think is used quite the way it was before, where it's like you have this basically another offensive lineman that can maybe catch, maybe not. Nowadays, your tight ends are much more like Jared Cook styles or, you know, big-bodied guys but can also run like gazelles and catch the football. So, you know, I, I'll be interested to see how they attack it. I mean, I think uh, – I don't know. I'll be interested to see how they attack it. It's all say, will they go more four wide receiver looks more spread? I think they were going to be spread anyways. But, again, I'll be interested to see just how this impacts what they try to do offensively for sure. Um, R right 97, I hear the separation between Joyner and Holinsky gets wider each practice. Joyner is the number two. Wow. I mean, I, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I've heard a lot of good things about Joyner as well from fall camp. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see. That's all I'll say. I, I have no idea at this point. I think it'll be interesting to see, though. Um, Robert underscore Harrington, is, is Alex Huntley a beast? Absolutely. Clark SP34, with Pollard out, what's the skinny on the tight end room? Who do you think is going to be the go-to guy? I like Kyle Markway in that room. I think if Nick Muse can get his eligibility, I've heard a lot of good things about him. Um, but, I mean, you've got to think of a guy, Kyle Markway. He's at least done it before. I mean, the, the other guys you're looking, Will Register really hasn't done it. Um, Trevion Kenyon definitely hasn't done it. He's a true freshman. So, I, I think you, look, you turn to a guy like Kyle Markway to sort of be – maybe doesn't have the upside of a guy like Keel Pollard, but – I think can be a dependable guy that position, no doubt. Um, 
Clark SP34 again. Bentley stat line for season prediction. Well, I talked about what would be a successful year for him if he threw 30 or more touchdowns and less than 10 interceptions. I think realistically you're looking at a guy that will throw 27, 28 touchdowns and be right at 11 or 12 picks. Which, so, I mean, what basically what that would put him almost the same stats as last year. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's tough to predict, man, because, you know, I think he can be a lot better. I think he can have the type of year I'm talking about, 30-plus TDs, less than 10 picks, cut out some of the dumb mistakes. But to an extent, it's kind of a show-me type deal more than – so I'm going to predict right now. I'm going to be kind of safe and say he'll be right at 10 interceptions, 10 or 11, right at close to that 30-touchdown mark. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to predict Jake Bentley to have a three or four interception year or even a five, six interception year until he goes out and does it. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing with me. Um, Clark SB 34 gun to head who's second string quarterback on depth chart versus UNC. You know, it's funny because gun to head, I would say Ryan Holinsky, but man, everybody is hyping up to carry on Joyner and has been talking about how good he's been playing. And, you know, I, I'll stick to my guns. I'm going to say Ryan Holinsky because I'd just be shocked if to carry on Joyner's the number two and it's no knock on DK. I, I, I don't care. I mean, look, play the best guy. So what, to, and I'll, I'll say this again, not to knock Ryan Holinsky, but to me, what it says more so is that. He was much less ready for college football than I thought because, you know, a guy that's a blue chipper with his type of talent, with his arm talent especially, to me it just says he's not ready for college football right now, so apparently, because, I mean, unless the carry-on joiner has made massive strides throwing the football, I don't understand how he could beat out Ryan Holinsky. But, again, I'm not on the field every day. I'm not at practice every single day, so – Hopefully, I mean, obviously the coaches are obviously studying the film and watching practice, and they're, they're not just going to put a guy at two just because they just feel like it. It's because the guy earned the position. So, play the best guy. But gun to head, I'd say Holinsky, and, I, you know, I'll, I'll tip my cat to carry on Joyner more than anything and be kind of surprised. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, we will see. Um, Brennan underscore Smith 47, who do you think the backup quarterback will be? I just talked about that. Brennan underscore Smith 47. Again, which freshman will start? I don't know if Pickens will start. I think he'll definitely play a lot. Um, the other freshmen, you got to think. Let's see. Off, I mean, offensively, really, we don't need any to start on offense. Xavier Leggett, I think, is one that will play a ton. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about him. Literally, over the weekend, was talking to a couple buddies, uh, a couple different sources, I'll say. And, you know, I, hearing really good things. Hearing really good things about Xavier Leggett, the way he looks out of practice, hearing that he's running with the ones on multiple occasions. Um, some really, really good things happening. Um, as far as defensively, I think a guy, Jimmy Robinson's a guy they've talked about a lot. They really like it. The nickel position. I think he'll play a bunch. I think a lot of those DBs will see the field. I don't know if they'll start. I think Jamie will start, but a lot of those guys like Kim Smith, Shiloh Sanders, uh, Johnny Dixon. I think those guys will, those young DBs will all see the field in some capacity. Um, but yeah, so I'd be, I think that'd be the main two is Jamie Robinson and Xavier Leggett offensively and defensively. Um, Another listener question here comes from Twitter, uh, which is Dan Publicover. Appreciate you leaving the question. Um, what's going on with Lattimore's Instagram post? Marcus Lattimore, something happened that I missed, or is this strictly inspirational? So if you go to Marcus Lattimore's Instagram account, which I'm doing right now, I know that he's been leaving – he's been doing like a lot of posts where it's just a picture of him, black and white, um, and a lot of just – a lot of commentary, which is cool. But no – Marcus Lattimore is a very inspirational dude, man. Marcus Lattimore is very in touch with himself, and he, he does a lot of inspirational things. And, I, you know, I think he's just on a journey in life where, you know, he 
I mean, listen, he's an inspirational figure. I mean, just the way he battled through injury and the way his career went, now being with South Carolina, there's nothing wrong with Marcus Lattimore. I'm just going to tell you right now. It's just I think it's purely inspirational for him. So nothing to be concerned about. Obviously, he's still with the Gamecocks. I don't know why you'd be concerned anyways. But, you know, it's just, just – uh, I think it's an inspirational thing. It's funny. His, his last post was on – was 18 hours ago. And he said it was his last Instagram post. So, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> hey, we've all got our own journeys. Whatever he's trying to do, awesome. Just glad he's a Gamecock and doing it for South Carolina. So, um, appreciate all the listener questions, guys. Got a fantastic interview coming up. Nathan Pepper, former Gamecocks defensive tackle, played for South Carolina from 2005 to 2009. And it was really fun. Nathan, an awesome dude, man. But it was really fun talking to Nathan just because you talk about a guy who had a roller coaster of a career. I mean, you talk about – injuries from big plays that almost did happen to big plays that did happen to getting injured on a big play to being, I mean, just all over the place, but overall a fantastic guy, a fantastic Gamecock had a phenomenal for career for South Carolina. One thing that I didn't know that I mentioned in the interview, he was the first ever Gamecock to play in four bowl games, played in 05, 06, 08, 09, first ever. So I think a really, really interesting stat, but overall, Nathan, a fantastic guy, fantastic interview. Brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one that I would recommend. Guys, we are just 12 days away from kickoff. I'm begging you, if you need your Gamecocks ball tickets to the UNC game, if you're going to Charleston Southern, maybe Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, wherever, you need your tickets to South Carolina football, SeatGeek has got you. They've got a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So they make it super simple, super easy. They do all the work for you. Right now, when you go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com, use that promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. I have people ask me, Chris, I've already got a SeatGeek account. I can't use the promo code. It's so simple for you guys. I'm going to give you literally the secret, the key. Go to your SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com, especially if you already got an account. Go make a new one. Create a new email. Create a new Gmail. I mean, SeatGeek, I don't know how they're not going out of business at this point, me giving away this, this secret. But go create a new email. You can go into SeatGeek, sign up with that new email, and bam, now you have a new account. You can use the $10 off. I mean, think about it, especially if you're going to a Gamecock sporting event. I don't even want to leave out the others because school is actually starting up this week. I know women's soccer has a game at Stone Stadium. All the other fall sports are going to be getting underway within the next couple of weeks or so. You want to get your tickets to a Gamecock sporting event. Why not use a Gamecocks promo code to save some money in the process? Again, like I talked about, SeatGeek, they do all the work for you. They get, they, you, you know you're getting the best possible deal, the best bang for your buck. Also, if you don't want to, if you want to use it for something else, they've got tickets to literally anything and everything from NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, concerts, comedy club events. It doesn't even have to be sports. Anything you can buy tickets to, SeatGeek has got that there for you. So, again, they're the only ticket-buying app I would recommend Go use those guys over at SeatGeek. Again, go download that SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks defensive tackle Nathan Pepper. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for the Gamecocks from 2005 to 2009. Over his career, he amassed 80 total tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, Four sacks, two interceptions, including two defensive touchdowns as well. He was actually the first ever Gamecock to play in four bowl games in 2005, 2006, 2008, and 2009. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show. Former Gamecocks defensive tackle, Nathan Pepper. Nathan, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, man, thank you so much for having me on, buddy. I appreciate it. 
Absolutely. So, Nathan, let's kind of go back to the beginning for you, for you because you're a guy uh, hailing from Greenville, South Carolina. You're kind of a local guy, if you will. Um, just kind of go back to your recruitment, if you will, because I, I think it's really interesting. You were being recruited by Lou Holtz and his staff, and then you obviously stuck with your commitment during a coaching change when Lou Holtz announced his retirement and Coach Spurrier took over. Just kind of talk about that entire recruiting process and what led you to eventually become a Gamecock. All right. Um, I had a few offers, not not many offers on the on the table. You know, I was a uh, um, you know, from upstate, you know, in the area. And um, you know, once I started to talk to Carolina, I had a couple of my teammates that were there. Well, one to be exact, you know, Noah Whiteside. Uh, we played high school together, so he was already on the on the team. So he was kind of you know my main contact person when when it came to you know talking to guys and just trying to figure out you know how the program was. So I talked with Noah Whiteside a lot and um. And I just decided to go ahead and, and commit to Carolina. You know, it was really between South Carolina and Kentucky. And um, there was a South Carolina guy that moved out to Kentucky, uh, and that was Joker Phillips. So we had a really good relationship with him. And I was I was really close to between the, the going, you know, to going to Kentucky, but I ended up, you know, giving South Carolina the nod. I actually went down to Kentucky for the South Carolina-Kentucky game my senior year in high school. I think Mike Ross came off the – came off the bench to um to win the game for Carolina you know and that was kind of a that was kind of a deciding you know game that kind of that after that game I was like okay I want to be Gamecock so after you know from that point on I was kind of all Carolina and I really didn't want it to you know be any kind of confusion I just kind of wanted to be committed so I can play my last year of high school and just mm -hmm. focus on playing the sport you know why was it so important to you to – because, I mean, you know how re the recruiting landscape has changed so much, especially now. But for you, obviously, you, you stayed with Carolina through the coaching change. I mean, did did, did your recruit or commitment waver at all when that happened? Or kind of how, how did you handle that when the Gamecocks switched, uh, switched head coaches? I mean, I never once was committed to a certain coach. You know, I looked at the school. I looked at the, the landscape, you know, the atmosphere around the program. And that was just kind of what I decided on. You know, I didn't – I wasn't too worried about the whole, you know, if Spurrier is coming, if, is he not coming and all this stuff is going on. You know, I was – I just wanted to go ahead and get committed and, and just kind of have a program to, to commit myself to to just begin to get ready to play some college football. For sure. So, and you get to Carolina, obviously, fall of 2005. Very interesting time, obviously, very exciting because, like you mentioned, I mean, it is Steve Spurrier's first year at South Carolina. Talk about Steve Spurrier a little bit. What were your first interactions like with him? Well, my first couple of uh, conversations with him was all positive. You know, um, you know, once he was named the coach, you know, he started reaching out to to commits and the recruits that he wanted to, I guess, wanted to keep that was already kind of on the ballot for the Gamecocks. So we talked briefly, spent some time together, you know, uh, spent some time at, at my high school. He, he came to the school and all those kind of things, which, he, you know, I think I'm sure he did that for all the, the recruits in that class. So it wasn't wasn't too too crazy, you know, doing things like that. But um. But the biggest thing was that my recruiting coach stayed on the staff. So the coach that recruited me to South Carolina, when the to when the coaching change happened, he was still the guy that I was talking to from start to finish. So so it wasn't too much of a a deal for me because the guy that I talked to on a daily basis was was still the same guy, same person. And you know I played defense. You know Spurrier's the offensive coach. You know it was great to be able to play for Coach Spurrier and all that, but. You know, I was a defensive guy. So, you know, Coach Spurrier was, you know, the offensive guru. So, 
you know, rarely did I have to, you know, interact with Coach Spurrier directly, you know, unless it was a, you know, fourth down, maybe we need to get that ball back or something like that. He'd give us a little extra boost to get us going. But for the most part, you, you know, you deal with your coordinators and you deal with your position mm-hmm. coach. For sure. So I think, Nathan, something really interesting about your career is that 2005, you saw limited action as a true freshman, didn't didn't record any tackles. But jumping to 2006 for you personally, um, you really burst on the scene. I mean, you played in all 13 games, started 12 of them, had 25 total tackles, a sack, an interception. I mean, what clicked for you? What changed for you going from that freshman to sophomore year that led you having such a dominant 2006 season? Well, for one thing, we were loaded in 2005. You know, um, we didn't have a whole lot of success as far as wins and losses go. But, you know, I was a defensive end in high school. And I think I might have had three or four defensive ends on the team before I even came to the school that were, you know, 6'5 and up. You know, we had some good size in, some tough guys that was playing. So I had to move to the interior. And I spent that whole year really learning how to play as an interior lineman. And it took me forever to gain some – had to get some weight on me. You know, I was just a little bit too light to play the position. So I just kind of had to grow. And it took me a good year, you know, a good year or so to kind of – you know, I kind of mixed in there on some special teams my first year. But I think the experience of me being there and just being around the team and, and just going through that atmosphere week in and week out kind of let me know, you know, got me prepared the next year to kind of not have my head spinning once the, once the time come for me to play, you know, significant minutes. Because, I, you know, I didn't record any tackles. I don't think my first year, but, I mean, I think I might have had, I mean, who knows how many plays I had from scrimmage on our defense. It was mostly special teams and, you know, just filling in, working, just getting some experience. So sure. I, I can't really say that one thing clicked specifically, but I was older, I was bigger, I was stronger, so I was I was just ready to play some significant minutes, you know, my sophomore year. And uh, thankfully, I was able to contribute to the team. For sure. So you're a guy, Nathan, I know you, growing up in the state of South Carolina, again, from Greenville, you of all people definitely know the importance of the South Carolina-Clemson game. Talk, talk about that rivalry a little bit, because I want to get to – eventually up next leading the play in 2006 and the Clemson game that you had but just overall the rivalry talk about your experiences playing in that rivalry and uh, again you being an in-state guy I'm sure you knew the stakes of that game well before you got on campus yeah I mean I mean it was it was definitely a a rival definitely important rival and we were different conferences you know SEC ACC those conferences don't really definitely didn't compare at the time you know but um um, that rival is one that's going to stick around for a while. And it's, it's just um, everyone knows when that game comes up, it's just, you know, it's, it's circled on the calendar. You know, all all the guys are kind of talking about it. It's probably a little different now, you know, seeing that it's not a, you know, a ton of guys that's from this state that really understand the rival. But the fans will definitely keep you in the loop and let you know how important it is. That's for sure. <laughs> Would you, would you say it's a bigger thing for the fans th- than the players? Because I've heard that from someone else before, that, that the way the fans, how seriously they take it is, it's much more on the field, the players, it's a much more of a respect factor uh, on, on both sides versus like just a pure hatred. I mean, it's not even that. It's, it's just another game, you know, and, and the years when we could be, you know, in the, in the hunt in our league and be able to play against the Clemson team that's in the head of their league, it, it was always fun, you know, for me personally, just because, you know, you would get, you know, a good competitive game. And, um, you know, I think I I went maybe – I think I went 500 against them. I won two and lost, lost two. Mm-hmm. But it was it was always, you know, great competitors on the other side. And, and, and it is a fan thing. The guys don't really hate – it's not it's not exactly the way the fans kind of make it out. 
because I mean, it's just another game. At the end of the day, it's just another football game. Everybody's, you know, high-fiving and doing whatever you want to do after the game. So it's, it's not as important as the fans like to make it out to be. For sure. So I, I want to talk about that play in 2006, Nathan, the play that uh, if people have forgotten, uh, you had an interception return, oh, 33 yards. Field goal and we won. Yeah, oh, yeah. So won the game. So it didn't matter. <laughs> I, I want to clarify that. Didn't matter. But I, I want to get your take on it, just your perspective. The uh, ball's punched out again. You, I mean, I, there's a great picture on that field goal that Jad Dean missed. You're actually the, the main guy in the middle jumping up, trying to block it. So again, you guys get the win, but. Just talk about that play. I mean, what did you learn from that? I guess looking back now, maybe you have a different perspective on it than in the moment. And again, like you mentioned, South Carolina won the game 31-28. So, you know, all is, uh, you know, all is fine. But when you look back at that play, I mean, what uh, – I, I guess what do you take away from it? What did you learn from that? Oh, man, I learned to finish, you know. I mean, that going through that, that was kind of one of the worst plays I ever had. One of the best plays and the worst plays in my whole career there in the Carolina kind of summed it all up in one. But um, I mean, it was it was you know it was it was a crazy game. You know, the game, the high tempo game. You know, they were going hurry up a few times, and and the game itself was just getting crazy. And then we had opportunity to kind of fill it and kind of put it away. You know, and kind of quiet that crowd down in it. And so I'm I'm just I'm I'm in the game and I'm rushing in and I'm I'm thinking, okay, quarterback's gonna throw the ball. Let me just jump jump up and knock it down. Nowhere in the world I'm gonna catch it. I just want to you know knock it down. Let's let's get off the field. You know. So, so I, I I go in and jump and knock the pass down, and um, when I land back on the ground, the crowd is quiet, and I realize I got the ball. So, <laughs> okay, it's time to do something with it. So I take off towards our end zone, and um, you know, from my from my view, you know, I'm out. I've outran the offensive linemen. You know, all I could see was the big guys in the middle kind of giving up. So I kind of relaxed as I saw them relax, and as soon as I relaxed my body and that's when that's when he comes and he knocks it out of the back of the end zone and uh it was it was crushing man it was it was it was a rough one but as soon as that ball come out I saw it roll out of the end zone and then they start reviewing the, the play I'm just sitting there like that's a touchback 100 percent there's no need to review this one <laughs> what, what was the conversation like with Spurrier on that one because something I had forgotten about that I read is that I, I think he suspended you for the first quarter of the Liberty Bowl which to me seems like you said, you guys won the game, so it seems kind of harsh. I mean, what was the conversation like with him after that? Well, it wasn't much of a conversation because we didn't talk at the game. You know, I, I kind of um, – my defensive coaches left me in the game because the touchback puts the defense back on the, on the field. Mm -hmm. So the coaches left me in the game so that he couldn't get to me because they knew I needed to play the rest of the game. So they didn't, they didn't want him to get a hold to me <laughs> after that play. So they left me on the field, and we went three and out after that. And, and got off the field, but um, you know that gave Spurrier a little bit of time to cool off, and everybody a time to just you know go on to the next, you know, go on to the next thing. So um, there wasn't much said during the game, but but I had to have a meeting with him and all. And there was a few things said, nothing significant, but it just just basically, without you know saying too much, um, he just basically told me that you know our team can't can be doing things like of that nature. So, you know, it's got to be something done about it. So that's where the suspension came. Got you. So, again, and it's all positive because South Carolina won both of those games, I mean, which were two great wins while you were at Carolina. Uh, going into that 2007 season, again, this one really interesting, Nathan, because you, I feel like for you, you'd probably agree, you're off to a really good start um, in the South Carolina State game. You have an interception return for a touchdown. 
Uh, and on the play, as you get into the end zone, your knee buckles, torn ACL out for the season, just more adversity. I feel like in your career, it's a common theme of facing adversity and overcoming it. But, uh, I mean, what's going through your head in that play? Because in the moment, it's such a great play. But I imagine you feel the, the leg go, and you probably know it was pretty serious. Well, at the moment, you know, um, when that play happened, you know, it was – I think South Carolina State might have jumped offside two or three times in a row because the crowd was just too loud for them. So, they jumped – couldn't hear a snap count two or three times in a row. So, we run the same play three times. And on that third time, when they finally stay on side and we can get the play going, that's when I get interception. And um, I'm just – I'm getting the ball. And this is the year after the whole Clemson debacle, you know. So, I'm thinking, okay, let me get this ball. Let me get in the end zone as fast as I can with with no trouble. So let's get through, get in the end zone. So I got in there, and as soon as I stopped, it buckled. But I didn't think it was serious at the time because it just felt like, you know, I just like tripped a little bit, or I just kind of, or just gave in a little bit, and I just and I lost my footing. That's how it felt. It didn't, it didn't feel like it was bad at all because it didn't hurt. Hmm. So. Fall on the ground, all the guys coming, dog pal, you know, all celebrating, and then it's time to get up. And I'm like, oh, 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 something is wrong. <laughs> something is wrong now. So I get up, and the guys pull me up, and I try to try to walk. And then that's when I that's when I realize, like, oh, now this is serious. This is serious. So that was the end of my season, you know, three games into the year. So, and luckily, I wanted to say, you got the medical red shirt, which was, you know, huge news for you, huge news for South Carolina. But walk me through kind of the rehab, because uh, obviously with a torn ACL, I know it's very tough rehab. I mean, what was that like for you? And I guess just how were you able to overcome that? Oh, well, well, the medical red shirt thing wasn't even that qu- a question at the time, because, I mean, we all kind of knew what the rule was at, the, at that time. It was, you know, it was three games or I think, or like 30 of. 35% of the season or whatever it was. But, I mean, we all knew I hadn't played, you know, enough games anyway. So, the medical was kind of guaranteed as soon as we found out it was actually torn. But um, the rehab was an ongoing process, man. I, I stayed in school year-round. You know, I didn't go home for Christmas. I, um, I stayed around the whole summer rehabbing twice a day. You know, it was it was a serious grind to make sure that I was back in time to contribute to that team. And, and that was what I wanted to do. For sure. And you, and you did that returning in 2008. Uh, overall played in all 13 games. You had 23 total tackles, five tackles for loss, a sack. We're one of the more disruptive players for South Carolina in the middle of the defense. Uh, a play I want to jump to that 2008 season, which was another big win for you guys while you were at Carolina. 2008 at Ole Miss. Uh, you have a fumble recovery in that one, which it's, it's kind of funny. You think the third straight season you have a – defensive touchdown or you know what should have been obviously no six a defensive touchdown but a, like a similar type play scoop and score for you yep. you're 29 yards you take it to the house I mean to I'm sure that one had to be really satisfying just because of all the crap you had been through with the injury with the Clemson game and to be able to rehab get back to the point of where you're playing and you're an impact player for Carolina and then have that play happen I, I t- just kind of talked to me about the emotions in that one well, just looking back at that play at the time when that happened, you know, I really didn't, you know, really – you don't really understand the significance of moments when you're in the moment sometimes. But afterwards, you know, looking back, there was an article that came out that was posted on uh, on campus, you know, I was looking at my situation. I just looked back at it, and it was just kind of rewarding to be able to go through, you know, not being able to walk, not being able to 
go home to see my family and all this stuff, you know, for a whole year. And then you finally get back to playing and you get back and you, and you're doing exactly what you were doing, you know, you know, before you injured, you know, so that, that was just, that was just rewarding to me mentally to just be able to go through that and, and be able to just get back in the end zone, being a big guy, rumbling, fumbling, tumbling with the ball and get in the end zone with it, man. It's just, it's just, a, you know, especially when it's, when the team is trailing, and we need something to happen for us and, and just to be that spark. You know, it was just a great feeling. For sure. So I mentioned, <clears throat> I mentioned Nathan at the top of the show. You were actually, and I didn't know this beforehand, you were the first ever Gamecock to play in four bowl games. Like I mentioned, 05, 06, 08, and 09. When I read off that stat, I mean, what does that mean to you? Because, again, that's something I didn't even know, but reading up on you, first ever Gamecock to play in four bowl games. And I know they all didn't go the way you wanted, but I'm sure – that's another thing where it's like when you're in the moment, you're not thinking about it. But looking back at that, I mean, how proud are how proud are you of that accomplishment? I, I think you were also part of the group that really laid the foundation and set the stage for what we saw 2010 to 13. Well, that that time was important, you know, but um, they actually mentioned that to me, you know, prepping up during bowl practice before the bowl game, you know, they told me, like, I would be the first class. I said, hey, 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 wait, I've got all these injuries going on. Let me get to the game. Let's talk about this after the game because I have all kinds of issues going on. I just want to get through the season. <laughs> but um, but when they did tell me that, I was shocked. And I, my first response was, wow, that's sad. I said, wow, that is sad for us, to, for, that, for this to be the first time. And then since then, it's, there's been more and more players that's been doing it, and I'm just, I'm just glad that we've come beyond that. Mm. because it's kind of crazy to sit there and think, like, this is the first time out of all the great players, all, all the great teams that's come through here, that there's one guy that's been able to play. And he's, it's amount of, it's, it was kind of mind-boggling, but at the same time, it's like our program has got to keep building. It's got to keep on coming, you know. And, and we have since then, you know, I always like to think that we were better than we are now then, but just looking at the whole picture, you know, these guys that they got now are, are some good guys. We got, we got a good team, I think. Mm. For sure. So looking back, obviously, I want to talk about 2009, uh, the Ole Miss game. I don't feel like you can talk about that year without that 2009 Ole Miss game, the birth of Sandstorm, if you will. Uh, Just from your perspective, Nathan, talk about that night. I mean, was that the craziest game you played at Williams-Brice Stadium? And do you feel like that was kind of the signature win that took the Spurrier era to the next level, if you will? I mean, that was a a great game and a great win. You know, we prepare and we expect to win stuff like that so when we when we do lose those big games it's a it's like a surprise you know but when, when we win the big games that means everything went like it was supposed to you know how we would rehearse how we prepare it went like it was supposed to so we're not really surprised when we win those kind of games you know the ones that we get surprised on, on are the blowouts the blowout games are the ones you like what happened here but when you prepare and you and you scout the team you're playing against and, and you look at the film and everything happens like it's supposed to. That's that's when it's gratifying. That's when that's when it's a great, you know, just just a great day for us all. But being that they were, I think they were number six or number. I'm, I'm not sure they were ranked, but we don't really look at those things because when we play every SEC opponent we play is a big game to us. And if the, if the opponent is highly ranked, you know, it's it's, it's great, but. If the opponent is not highly ranked, it's going to be a tough team you got to face. That's that's the beauty of our conference. You know, we've played many unranked teams that could be definitely in the top ten, depending on you know 
the way the chips fell, you know, because oftentimes we would just beat ourselves up in our conference. We just, you know, you, you're having two good teams and somebody's got to lose. So then you'll fall in the rankings, you know, but every week it's a, it's a tough game no matter who it is. You know, the Vanderbilts are tough. The Kentuckys are tough. The Ole Misses are always tough. You know, these teams are going to be tough in this conference, and that's, that's why I love our conference more than anything. But, but again, that, that was still a huge win for us, you know, with them being ranked and with how the, um, the defense came out and played. You know, a lot of great – a lot of things fell into place that night, on that Thursday night, and it, it was a great one. It was a, it was a great time. No doubt. So, I wanted to ask you about as well, Nathan, you were part of the Goon Squad defense, and you, you were really on those teams that started that, the Goon Squad defense. Just just talk about kind of sort of where did that come from for you guys? Like, where where where, where did that start, I guess? And then how were you guys able I, – I feel like you guys really used it as fuel to the fire, if you will, and really embraced being the Goon Squad defense, and it certainly paid off while you were at Carolina. Man, those young guys started that when they came in. I'm just telling you. I, I had I wasn't really a part of that. I went with it and I was there, but that was that was kind of a movement in the wave of of guys we had coming in. You know, we had guys that kind of wanted to make our units. You know, they gave us the title. They gave us a little bit more to play for. And you know, I was just one of the older guys that kind of kept us kept us in line, kept everybody kind of focused. But those guys came in with the goon squad. You know, kind of wanted to make us the goon squad. You know, we had guys like DJ. That was you know that was that was really young then. I can't remember. Uh, you know, Antonio was was young. You got other guys playing on the back end of our defense that were really young, and and they were starting to get a little bit more swag about what we were doing. You know, and they kind of brought a different way than how we were used to. But you know, we all kind of met in the middle and just started to just get better and better. And and it started showing the field. And then they started to build that trend. And then once the other guys started coming behind them, it just started to make a you know make South Carolina defense a problem, you know, just kind of how we were always a tough defense as a unit. You know, we had great linebackers, great defensive backs, great linemen coming through, but we just started to really put it together after that moment. So a game I want to jump to, your last game at Williams-Brice Stadium, Nathan, the uh, South Carolina-Clemson game 2009, the first of a five-game winning streak over the Tigers. Talk about just, you know, how satisfying it was for you, again, after everything you had been through in your career, you're capping off a – Really, really solid senior season. Um, just talk about what the emotions were like for you, for you guys to get such a huge win over Clemson and that being your last game at Williams-Brice. Well, again, you know, we watched a lot of tape on Clemson and we knew we could handle them up front for sure. And we knew they had some weapons around us, you know, on the, on the, on the, on the outside, on the back end of, of the defense and on the, the receiving units and the running backs were nice. We knew that if we could stop the run, and forcing them to pass them the ball that, that we will be able to have a, have, a, have a good time with them, you know. So um, so we came out, you know, thinking we're going to stop the run first. Oh, oh I, forget, I forget about the return game. Mm-hmm. And not letting them affect the game returning in returns. Because I think they had Spiller, which was, you know, track speed guy on the back end, returning kicks for them. So we said first point was to not kick the ball to 28 down the middle because he will return it. So, you know, we listened to the coaching on the first play of the game. We kick it down the middle to him and let him return for a touchdown. So, we start not 0-7. <laughs> you, know, you know, so it's, it's a lot of these plays you'll never forget. But but, but that was just the beginning. And I'm not sure how many points they scored that day, but we knew from watching them and just, you know, from that moment on that 
there wasn't going to be many other points scored in that game, you know, because we we just came ready to play. The guys wanted to just – we all wanted to get that win that day. And, you know, the weather was right. Everybody was just feeling really good about it. And, um, you know, we set the tone and just kind of really went after them and got the win. And um, since that – you know, from that game on, they kind of – those guys, like I said, that young group of guys that came on that team that year, Mixed with some of the older guys, you know, like the Travian Robertsons and those guys, like and the Devin Taylors, the guys that had been around a little bit, you know, that young group of guys that come through that with that wave, it kind of pushed that group on to be a great group. You know, with, with Stephon Gilmore playing with us, you know, he was he was really young at the time, but he was, you know, he was dynamic from day one. You know, he was just dynamic, great player, just great attitude. Everything about him was good, you know, from day one, you know. And we all kind of figured he would be a special guy, for sure. I, I imagine, you know, Nathan, you're a guy, you have to take great pride in the simple fact that I would say that you you and, you know, a host of other guys, your teammates, but you guys really, you left the program off in a much better place than it was when you got there in 2005, Sam. And obviously, again, you got there when South Carolina's going through a coaching change. There's, you know, everyone's excited, but there's a little bit of uncertainty. You guys accomplished a ton of firsts that first year, obviously winning in Knoxville, beating Florida, stuff like that. But the way you left off the program, again, in 2009, I mean, I, again, fully believe that guys like you laid the foundation for what we saw in 2010 and 2013, winning the SEC East, winning five in a row over Clemson, those 11 win seasons. I mean, talk about this, just the sense of pride you feel even now when you look back and, you know, think about that you were one of the guys that really paved the way for the success we saw after you left. I mean, I look at those moments and, you know, kind of think that I like to play a part in that. But really, you know, we just – we just all wanted to compete. You know, that's what it boiled down to. We wanted to be the best player. We wanted to be the best guy, you know, on the field all the time. And each player wanted to be the best player. So when you got guys that that wants to compete and, and wants to be the best, you know, I can remember sitting in the locker room and, and comparing tackles for loss with Melvin when, when Melvin was playing. Melvin Ingram was only playing interior at the time, uh, interior D-line at the time. And that's when the kind of the, the, the trend kind of changed. You got guys that's trying to compete with each other, you know, not just trying to, you know, I want to beat so You know, we were just trying to win the battle up front all the time, not wanting to get beat by anybody, not wanting to get embarrassed. You know, we just wanted to go out there and set the tone and compete and, and not allow anybody else on the field unless they were going to compete. You know, I felt like we all took ownership of our positions, of our – of our side of the ball, you know, you know, we didn't let guys get on the field that wasn't ready to contribute and, and wasn't going to compete to the level that we wanted, not what the coaches wanted, but what we wanted, you know, we wanted guys competing at the top level, you know, cause we know that when you compete at the top level, that's, that's only going to make the team better. And it's not competing at the top level on game day. Mm-hmm. It was competing at the top level in the weight room in the indoor facility when it's time to, when it's time for running, when it's time to condition. Outside when it's time to practice. You know, we wanted to compete. We, we want guys we want the guys to even do what they were supposed to do at the at the at the meal plan. You know, I want guys that was gonna eat when they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Soap when you're supposed to, do what you're supposed to do. And we off the ownership, you know. It wasn't a coach saying this, it was it was players looking after players and that's what makes your team go beyond any other thing you could do. Once the players take control and take ownership of the players and, 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 and of yourself and, and, and everything that's going on around us, that's when the program kind of catapults. And that's kind of what it did. You know, we 
catapulted, and we couldn't really sustain it. But, you know, a, a lot of things fell in place for the Gamecocks in those few years that we were good, you know. So a lot of things fell in place, and there was a lot of groundwork, you know, done before that. But mm. the biggest thing that I, I really like knowing that the players, we really took ownership of the program. No doubt. So, Nathan, on, on a little bit lighter of a note, and I say this kind of jokingly, but the 2009 Papa John's Bowl against UConn, is that the most miserable you've been playing in a football game? Man, I'm, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> like, when we got there, like, it was a great week. Practice went well. You know, it was – you know, nobody wants to be really in Birmingham, you know, playing a football game because you want to be in those southern states. You want to be down south. You want to be in Florida, you know, where it's a little bit warmer. You know, you really don't want to be there, but it's another opportunity to get better. So we were there, and man, when we got there on game day, it was the coldest we had ever been. And we all looking around because we just kind of confused. Like, why is the weather this cold? We just all confused. And then we look over at the Yukon guys, and these guys are walking around with no shirt on. You know, these guys are just joking around, playing loose, having a great time, and we are just miserable. And I think, I mean, you could, you can almost tell from the way that game started to the way that game ended. Like, nobody was comfortable, ever could get comfortable in that game. And it was just – it was flat out just too cold for these Southern boys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. It's, you know, it's funny because it's funny to look back on it now because I, I just feel like of all the bowl games, that is one that is – that, that's one that's still talked about by South Carolina fans. I mean, the game itself, they said they ran out of pizza by halftime. Like, just a miserable day in general. <laughs> just to, to get your perspective, obviously, is pretty funny. So, one thing I thought uh, was interesting, so I couldn't find anything, so correct me if I'm wrong here, Nathan, but what, what was kind of after South Carolina, after the Papa John's Bowl, what, uh, what did the future look like for you as far as football is concerned? Uh, as far as football was Concerned, um, it was left in the locker room at the Papa John's Bowl. Right. I left it in the locker room. You know, I was, you know, I played, you know, as much as I really wanted to play. You know, I had a, I already had a child that was, you know, I think, I think my oldest son now, he's 13. So he would have been, I think, three or four at the time. I was, you know, I was ready to just be done with, with the game, you know, because I, I left, you know, I didn't, I didn't even, I left everything sitting right there. Everything, you know, I didn't even come back for the um, for the combine. You know, the what the pro day. Mm. I was I was really just ready to begin the rest of my life, you know, because I was more than a football player. You know, I just wanted to be with my family and just move on with life, you know, because you know, because you get a lot of guys that, and you still see it now, a lot of guys that just get stuck in that lifestyle, which is a great lifestyle to be a football player especially on the college football team, you know, they kind of roll the red carpet out for us, you know, all the time. So that's kind of a lifestyle that you get – it's really easy to get used to. So I was – you know, I knew I had been through a lot of injuries, so I, I really knew that a pro career was kind of on the back burner for me. And, and, I, I, and I knew that every moment that I spent focusing on football, I was taking away from my son that was growing up and, and you know, and eventually becoming a man now, which he's, you know, he's he's getting ready for high school football now. So I was just anxious to get home and just and just be with my family. What's what's it like, you know? With I feel like it's interesting now with everything we know with the, you know, the CTE stuff. There, there's 
people feel certain ways about football. Obviously, you're letting your son play football. What's it, what's it like being a football dad now for you? What is, what is that experience like? Well, it's, it's, you just definitely have to, to um, worry. I don't worry about all that kind of stuff as far as the injuries and the head stuff just simply because that the game has made so many strides towards, you know, the technology mm-hmm. for keeping the guys safer, you know, with all the pads. They, you know, they just surrounded by pads these days. You know, I've been, I've been through a few years of, of little league football, rec football and all this stuff. So I, I get to see it up close. And, you know, I'm, I'm a huge person about football because football forms, it helps you guys, it helps young men and young boys shape their lives to be great citizens and great dads. And that's I'm a firm believer in that. You know, I know it's a lot of, you know, people don't people worry about the head injuries and all that stuff. I mean, I mean, I just I just think that by you being a player and, and being lucky enough to be on a you know a college team or be able to play on your high school team, no matter what kind of team it is, I'm a huge team because the team kind of prepares you for life it, it kind of you know teaches you the ups and downs how to bounce back from the from the bad how to react during the good times and it just um, I really feel like it gets you prepared for life you know especially in this business world we're living in now it kind of gets you ready for that for sure so I, I want to talk some current day Gamecocks um, Nathan because I, I think what's interesting I want to get your perspective on it you were a guy in your own right that was a dominant force inside for South Carolina defensive tackle. I want you to talk about a guy, Javon Kinlaw, a guy that South Carolina is going to be depending on. Huge dude. I mean, he's a force. A lot of people are saying he could be a first-round NFL draft pick, at least the second round if he has a good year. Um, talk about his game. What do you see from him? What do you like from him? And uh, what do you just think about Javon Kinlaw's game overall? I mean, just watching him and, and watching how his body has evolved from the day one since being a recruit to the day he finally stepped foot on campus. You know, he's, his body has changed so many ways, and I think it makes him very dynamic as a, as a player because it, you know, I think he's listed as an interior lineman. I, I'm pretty sure he's listed as an interior mm-hmm. lineman, but I, mm-hmm. I've been looking at his range and how he's, you know, cut his body down this year coming into the season. I mean, this kid could be a 3-4 defensive end. I mean, he could be a – I mean – he could be a five technique in, and he could be a nose. He could be a three tech. You know, he, he could do a. He could play along the whole front line. I think just looking at his abilities that I've seen. You know, I'm not there with him every day. I don't. I don't know him personally, but just to see the tools that he's been blessed with and that he's worked for, from my perspective, I think he's he's going to be very special for the for Carolina this year. And that that D line is is was going to be one of our strong points. I think we loaded with talent and 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 um, experience on that D-line. I, I don't think we're getting a lot of – I don't think we're getting a lot of credit for how loaded we are up front. And uh, I hope they don't give us any credit for it so we can blow everybody out of the water, you know, once the season rolls around. But um, it, it's, it's kind of a good position to be in. You know, they could play with a chip on their shoulder. They can go out and get ready to play every week and go and go play hard and be successful. But I think they really will with Juana and along with uh, Ken Law and some other, uh, some other guys, Keir Thomas. You know, I think these guys – are going to be really good. For sure. So I definitely want to get your take on sort of the, the state of the program right now. Obviously, Will Muschamp entering his fourth season. Um, everyone loves to talk about the schedule this year, which I know you being a competitor would look at it much more as an opportunity versus a burden like some people do. But uh, when definitely. you take a look at this 2019 season and just the program overall right now, again, under Will Muschamp, um, you know, 
what are, what's your takeaways on sort of where, where the program is right now and where you think it's heading? I mean, I love the position that the, the, the program is in. You know, I know a lot of people are, you know, griping about the schedule and all this stuff. But, I mean, if you want to be with – if you want to go play with the big boys, you got you to go play with them. You know, you got to get involved. You got you to go and play some of these big teams because if you don't – and you say you don't play these good teams and you beat them all, you'll find yourself on the outside looking in, you know. So now with the way scheduling is made up, you know, if we can be successful with this schedule, it's going to put us in the national image right off the top. You know, you know, everybody's going to be looking at the Gamecocks, you know. I'm optimistic always, and I'm a little bit biased. You know, I don't have us <laughs> losing. You know, I can never see us, you know, losing crazy amounts of games just because I know what they, what the work these guys are putting in. You know, I, I can see it, you know. So I know what they want and know what they're, what they're moving towards. But um, this is going to be a tough schedule, but I really honestly feel like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy to hear it, but, I mean, I feel like we can do well, you know, because I just feel like, you know, we're underrated in a lot of positions that people are kind of down on us about. You know, I think they're forgetting about the receivers we have. I think they're forgetting about the defensive line we have. I think they're forgetting about that, you know, I think we got a four uh, – Brunson, is this the senior season? I think they forget the experience mm-hmm. that we've got a linebacker. They forget about that cornerback we got out there and the mm-hmm. other corner that's come on this year to play more. They forget about that number 21 playing safety back there. You know, I think people are forgetting about what the Gamecocks can do. And I love it. I love it. For sure. I'm, I think I'm ready to run through a brick wall now, no doubt. We went 13 days. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a football dad now. You know, you know, I always be a player at heart, but I'm just telling you, I, when I see opportunities like this, I can't do anything but smile and get excited about it because it's either going to be everything or it's going to be nothing in my eyes, you know, and I'd rather shoot for it all. <laughs> no doubt. No, I, I agree with you 110%. So I'm going to get you out of here, Nathan, but last question for you. When you look back on your South Carolina career, again, there from 2005, 2009, when you look back on your Gamecocks career, what's the one memory that you would say is your favorite of all that stands out? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, favorite memory is definitely being able to get back. Well, personal memory is getting back in that Ole Miss game and scoring a touchdown for our team to win. You know, you know that was that was probably you know that was kind of like like the weight off my shoulders. Man, I'm back. I mean, it's you know everything is back the way that way it was supposed to be. You know, that was one of my significant you know moments while I was there. You know, but I mean, it's it's so many things that happened while I was in school, man. It's it's just really hard to pin in on one, you know, one exact situation because it was it was things happening every week that you know I was grateful for. You know, this this never really you know never really got out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No doubt. Well, Nathan, really do appreciate you taking the time again. Like I said, I, I know I speak for all Gamecock fans when we say it was a pleasure to watch number ninety five out there every single week. And again, I. I really, again, believe that you're, you're one of the key instrumental guys that really set the foundation for the success, the success we saw 2010 to 13, those, you know, glory years, if you will, for South Carolina. And um, really appreciate you taking the time. And let's definitely do it again sometime and talk some ball. Oh, man, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And um, I look forward to, to seeing you post, you know, when the season rolls around. I'm always checking you out. Absolutely perfect. So for Nathan Pepper, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.